few years ago, I took a printed copy of Alex Colville's painting, Horse and Train, taped it to my piano, and tried to write a song about it. Every time I sat down, I was faced with the inevitability of the dark locomotive, the mystery of the horse galloping at dusk between the rails towards the oncoming engine. It was the first time I contemplated an artwork for such an extended period of time. Dark horse against an armored train, the light barrel and closer makes a tunnel. Tunnel of night. Yeah. And so began my obsession with twelve artworks over a period of four years. I wrote on my rickety 1880 Steinway in my dining room at my studio keyboard with geraniums, on my childhood baby ground at my parents' house when I took a year off in British Columbia. The artwork came with me wherever I went, became dog-eared from retaping. I also tracked down art books on each artist and made a pile beside the couch. As a singer-songwriter, I generally write from the gut about my personal life or moments in the lives of those closest to me. With this project, everything changed. I was faced with the problem of imagining what a sleeping gondolier sounded like, how to make lapping waves, the quiet of an afternoon nap. I did a lot of research, read interviews, watched documentaries, talked to some of the artists, then got ready to meet with the band. I've had the good fortune of working with three musicians for over 10 years now, and usually arranging comes easily and organically, but this was different. At beer time, we pored over art books and discussed the aesthetics of plastic whale skeletons and co-producing sculptures with bees. This called for a more nuanced analysis and scotch. Then we'd head back down into the studio to see what we could come up with. We're not the first band to write about Canadian art. In 1995, the Rio Statics released music inspired by the Group of Seven, which was commissioned by the National Gallery and comprised of 12 songs of mostly instrumental music. In fact, Poets and musicians have been doing these kinds of experiments for centuries.
I ask my writing students to describe what they see or imagine about various works of art. It's a useful stepping off point into a deeper reflection of a work. Sometimes you know details about the artist's process or the history of the work itself, its materials, inspirations, and legacy. These seep into your reflection. You tell a story of a work or invent a new one, enter into a conversation with it. Last year, I spent five days wandering the galleries and museums in Washington, D.C. One of the works that struck me was Thomas Cole's four canvases called The Voyage of Life. When you stand in front of these paintings from 1842, you can't help making the leap to your own life. The green and promise of childhood and youth as a boat steers down a calm river surrounded by flowers and blue sky. or when the storm clouds of middle age are brewing and the boat is heading straight for rapids without a rudder. We'll see about old age and whether there is a parting in the clouds and a calming of the waters. This leap is something we do naturally in our heads when we look at art. Every fire is the way we need a door. That moment of contemplation can last the afternoon on the uncomfortable gallery benches, or you can extend it into the weeks beyond. When I was a boy, I remember reading John Keats's poem, Ode to a Grecian Urn, which was still required reading in school. I was taken with the idea that a poem could simply be a wondering about something you admire. Keats spent considerable time imagining a story behind the painted figures on an ancient piece of pottery dug up from the sands of time. This is not to say that more words are essential to the enjoyment of art. The works do a fine job of standing on their own. When Socrates told his friend Phaedrus that the painter's products stand before us as though they were alive, but if you question them, they maintain a most majestic silence, I think that many artists would disagree. Alive? Yes, but silent? Sound is not the only interlocutor. I think art speaks directly to us without language. Still, those of us who use our voices to understand the world have a hard time keeping quiet. We're not trying to fill in the empty space that surrounds an artwork, just continuing our wondering. 
Some people call this ekphrasis, which sounds more like an esthetician's procedure, but it's simply about getting inspired. Je me regarde dans le miroir Qu'est-ce que j'ai changé ça le savoir and that was my only criteria for selecting artwork for this album, and it had to be inspiring. Some of the pieces, like Colville's Horse and Train or Emily Carr's Tree Spiraling Upwards, have been part of our collective Canadian iconography. Others, I have discovered in recent years, like David Altmaid's Crystal and Faux Fur Werewolves, the songs are intended to stand by themselves, but my hope is that they will add layers of meaning to and perhaps a new appreciation for these important visual works. I hope you will have the opportunity to hear the artworks through the music, which is really just another way of seeing. This podcast was recorded in Paul Hinton's studio in Quebec City. Songs to See By was produced by Paul Hinton and Maureen Haller and mixed at Studio Sismic in Quebec City by Yves Drolet and Paul Hinton. For more on the album, check out theorienhallerband.ca. Mm-hmm.